Welcome to One, Two, Three, Four, a podcast about two gals making a musical and more. That's nailed pretty the good. Intro. <laughs> All right, guys. Episode two, we've nailed the intro, which is already a great start. Yeah. Welcome back to uh, One, Two, Three, Four. We're happy you're here. We're happy you're still choosing to listen to us. Yes. All right. Well, we are super excited to be back. Um, we've done a lot of work since we last podcasted for you folks. Lots of things have happened. A lot has happened. Yeah. We've had some serious setbacks and developments. Indeed. To our show. We've had the workshop cast announced. Yes. We've had just general fun haps in <laughs> ourselves. <laughs> we had a major pivot in our plot. Like a major pivot. One that actually like caused delays in the actually rather lofty writing deadlines we had set for ourselves <laughs> but um but it was the right decision and sometimes the right decision is the hard decision but we uh I, I feel like I'm so cryptic but it's like such a big giveaway that we can't tell you what the pivot was mm-hmm. because it would ruin the climax of the show it would for ruin you. the entire thing <laughs> um but ultimately we made this pivot because as we talked about in the first episode um we're trying to represent some communities that are underrepresented, and part of that means doing them justice. And we felt like this pivot was the needed step to make sure that we're respecting that. But it definitely caused some, like, like our first, uh, like, hiccup in the writing process. Mm-hmm. I feel like we, like, jumped into it, and it was, like, such smooth sailing um, and this was the first time that we, like, hit a little bit of a wall. Yeah, it really was. It was, like, um, like a week-long wall, actually-ish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like with this shift in the script, um, a lot of... I, I feel like the phrase that was used a lot was, I know this is the right thing, but... I know this is the right thing, but... Mm-hmm. And there was always this divide, and there was this... Um, I mean, Shelby and I work very similarly and also very differently with Mm -hmm. some things. And Mm -hmm. I think um, with this big shift, my classic, as we dig into the Enneagram, (laughs) my classic go-to response is to kind of like wrap myself up so I can get some control back um, if I feel like I'm losing control. And so I think that intuitive response that I had to that is what... I think I'm not is I think that's what kickstarted the hiccup. I know I know that it is because um it was very much like oh I have to get some control back because we had this big change when really the best control that we would have had was if we were just continuing to collaborate the way that we were before which was hard at the time considering but I also all the changes. think it's, it's healthy to know what you need as a person to respond to change, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like immediately when we hit the hiccup, I started looking up (laughs) like what I could about the relationship between Enneagram ones and threes Mm -hmm. and the way that they are similar and different. And so, um, probably part of the reason why Helen and I hit it off so well initially is that like ones and threes are both super driven by like getting stuff done, right? Mm -hmm. Like we like to accomplish things. We like to, be effective we like to um, achieve goals Mm -hmm. but there is like a slight difference in the road that ones and threes like to take to get there ones want to do it right and perfectly the first time and threes just want to like crank it out and get it done and so eventually it makes sense that we would have hit some sort of wall there because like I was ready to just churn out like something so that we could go back and, and tweak it later. But, like, Helen wanted it to actually be quality. <laughs> <laughs> so we ended up, like, we got through, like, a week of struggle. And then we are like, we need to just, like, meet up and talk. And then it was, like, immediately, like, oh, yeah. We work really well when we're in the same room and when like we're communicating. Minutes. It was, like, the fastest, like, sweetest, like, non-apology apology that you ever witnessed it was kind of an apology but it was like we it was like 
you don't need to apologize apology you know um and also a little friendship emotion yeah a little bit what did i say uh i realized what did i say (laughs) i wish i could remember exactly what i said because it was like so hallmark movie when i was like i think i didn't realize that the most control i or that what i was missing was you or something like that But you know what? I honestly just needed to hear that, so it was perfect. You know, we're a good pair. <laughs> I actually pulled up an article, like, earlier before we started recording about the ones and threes relationship. You did? And you talking reminded me of, a, like, this little part that's in it. Because it talks about how ones are so, like, rigid. Like, we really, like, users were saying, like, doing everything, like, right. Mm-hmm. Like, and you wanted to get it done. I wanted to get it like perfect which perfection is like completely unattainable but i think it was funny because the way that it words it is it says um ones can see threes as tending to cut corners (laughs) and threes tend to find ones too rigid (laughs) and inflexible (laughs) which is exactly like how our our different attitudes were like i was like she just wants to get it done she just wants to crank it out but what about all these very essential bullet points I have not accomplished yet. (laughs) Suffice to say, this is, I think this is the first time that I've truly found using the Enneagram to be like a a super effective and useful way to navigate a dispute, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. I think like that was part of what drew it to drew me to it in the first place was this idea that it's like an empathy tool and it can help you to understand people's motivations better. But this was the first time that I've been like, Oh wow. Like this is a thing and it works and it makes sense. And it was just, it was really fascinating and kind of cool. And now I just want to use it all the time. It, it was, it was, I mean, I think that it is exactly why we should say that like everyone should say and know that the Enneagram is not a personality test. Yes. Because personality tests and, like, categorizing puts you in a box. And if this was one of those same concepts that put you in a box, you wouldn't know how to get out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the Enneagram helped us to get out of the box that we were in. It's like, true. it helped us to identify that. And that's, like, why it's so different. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I totally found, I found the thing I sent myself that I was going to pull up when we had our little mediation and we didn't even need it. What does it say though? But it's, it's, it's threes and ones. That's threes awesome. and ones can look an awful lot alike because both are pushing to achieve, although for different reasons. Ones get hung up on doing things right and threes want to do things fast. Both numbers can learn to slow down and can journey together to find that rest. We can. We can. We have. We have indeed. Yeah. Yes. So we're like, we're back on track and we've done a lot of work actually since we had our session mm-hmm. um i'm i'm maybe like uh one day of writing away from having the first draft of the book done that's so exciting which is cool and it's only what march 3rd today yeah and it's gonna it's gonna pivot a lot more once the music is plugged in for sure um a lot of what i've been doing is sort of cranking out scenes and knowing they're going to get chopped up a bit but it's some of getting some of the info and the tone out that helen can use to like create the songs that belong there and then we can get rid of the dialogue that doesn't need to be there anymore mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah <clears throat> i'm excited yeah it's very very exciting we're back on track we're back i feel like after our little moment it was like the book was getting cranked out. I was cranking out some songs. Oh, some bops, my friends. Um, those just honestly came out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm super excited. I'm excited for Sadie's song. So you'll mm. remember that Sadie is our type one, um, which probably explains a little bit about why Helen wrote it so fast. She Five re- minutes. relates to Sadie a bit. Um, <laughs> but in the, in the show, in Echo, Sadie... Um, is she has a, a scene where she goes speed dating mm-hmm. and so this is kind of like our glimpse at her in her monologue a little bit and it's just going to be really fun and really fast-paced and I'm super excited about seeing it come to life um and I'm super excited for Monica to sing it uh Monica Hernandez Bolt is our cast our workshop cast member who's taking on the role of Sadie and she has just like 
some of the most impeccable dry delivery out of any actress oh. that I've ever encountered. If you if you saw Putnam at Brelby, she was our Rona, and she's just like very, very quick witted and very, um, very good at zingers. <laughs> but she also has like a really deep level of kindness and empathy to her that I think it's going to give Sadie like a really nice three dimensional persona. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I've I haven't met Monica yet, but everything you tell me about her, I'm just so, so excited. And especially for the character of Sadie, who is a type one, who even in the song that we're talking about, this speed dating song, it's very, it's a very dry song. It's like, Mm -hmm. she's delivering this monologue, like, you know, in this way that's just very sassy and very like, I'm so over this. (laughs) And then you see the different glimpses of emotion as she goes through it. But then, I mean, overall, the song itself is very, like... I mean, type 1s are very organized people. They're very, like, time-oriented. And so I wanted the song to have, like, a real staccato feel to it as, like, an ode to time for an ode to, like, stability and an ode to having, like, a constant for the type 1 Enneagram, which I think just really helped out with, like, just the dry, witty delivery of the criticizing internal monologue of a type mm-hmm. one. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited to meet Monica too. Yes. Ah. You both are like dog moms in the same way. Ah. Where you like post a lot of cute photos of your of your dogs. Shout out to Rowdy who's literally on my yeah. leg right now. If you can hear him panting, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a little out of control right now. But also not. He's pretty calm. I feel like that's a good transition. We were planning on talking about some more characters this podcast. Um, And so Sadie obviously is like the single lady who is out in the dating scene. Um, But our other three of the core four do each have a like core love interest Mm -hmm. in the show. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we would talk a little bit about them on this podcast. Um, So Aiden... Oh, oh, Aiden is the man. He's oh, the man. He's the man that everyone wants. He's amazing. I love him. I'm he's, in love with him. He's kind and he's funny and he's silly and he's patient. He may be modeled after someone we know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, he's definitely got a lot of uh, my husband, Brian, <laughs> in him. And a little bit of our friend Michael, who are both two wing threes. Yes. Um. And actually, um, our two like core young men in the show are both twos. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Helen and I were really drawn to this idea that it's so rare for male characters to be to be written as like genuinely good, giving guys without like major flaws. Um, and we were sort of just like throwing that idea around a lot as we were developing like what our character list looked like. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what if there were just, like, two good dudes who had a song about being good guys and treating women well? And that was, like, their duet was about, like, being cool bros, you know? Mm-hmm. An unproblematic love song, if you will. Um, so that's one of the songs I'm truly excited about us getting to later on. Um, but oh. Aiden and Lennon are the two the two gentlemen twos in the show, which is really funny because I actually feel like we've talked a lot about our two theory with the Enneagram in our personal lives, but um, we feel like two is the easiest number for people to mistype themselves as. Yes. It's just like, it's a number that it's like people tend to gravitate towards when they take the test and they don't necessarily like read up and dig any deeper and they just kind of roll with it and they're like, I'm a two. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have some theories about why. Yes, we do. <laughs> Did you know, so uh, bringing in Sleeping at Last again, because mm-hmm. like, I feel like we should just mention them mm. in every mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go, so when you go to their most popular songs on Spotify, mm-hmm. the second one is the two Enneagram one. Oh. And I was like, fascinating. That's the most like played Enneagram song because it's the most typed. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So 
this is my one coming out, and I've told Shelby this before when we've talked about this, because I'm a little critical. <laughs> but twos, um, I think that it is not possible for there to be as many twos in the world as there are categorized as twos. <laughs> <laughs> and just a reminder, twos are the helper. They're the ones that are really like putting the um, others' needs above their own. Mm-hmm. Um, real, just like giving of themselves, like. I'm going to help you first before I help myself, that kind of thing. Um, So my theory is that, I mean, most people, when they identify themselves as a type or start, like, researching the types, they usually take some sort of test. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can go through and read the different types, but it helps to have somewhere to start. I think that's why a lot of people take the test. I mean, I took the test. You took the test, right? Yeah. So uh, I think when you're taking the test... You either take it... So if you're categorized as a two, you're either taking it with one of two mentalities. One is the type that I think is being mistyped as twos because I think they're taking it as what they want to be mm-hmm. or what they think that they should be. Um, so it's like, oh yeah, well, I, I do want to be selfless. Of course, all of us want to be selfless people. All of us want to be giving and helpful like, that's the, the ideal... I mean, when we talk about friendships, the twos are known as the dream friend, right? Like, that's just who you want in your corner. Mm-hmm. And so all of us want to be that person. So a lot of times, if you are not being super self-aware with yourself when you're taking the test or categorizing yourself, I think you're taking it as to what you want to be. I think that's why so many people get mistyped. As opposed to true twos, like... For instance, we were talking about your husband. Mm-hmm. Brian is a true two. I know Michael, our friend Michael, is a true two. Like, to truly typed twos, there is no other option when they answer those questions. It's like, I cannot see this any other way. So, of course, it would be the answer, yes, I would put this person's needs in front of my own because there is no feasible other option. Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I think are correctly typed. Yeah. That's who we want to be. And it's interesting, too, because, like, like, at your core, when you find your Enneagram type, it's it's based on, um, like, your motivating factor, right? It's, like, your, your fears and your desires are, like, the very, like, base level core of what your type actually is. And so with twos, their core desire is to be loved, to feel loved, and that motivates all of their like selfless actions is because that is truly like what drives them as people. And of course everyone wants to be loved. Right. But like it, but for not, it's not the like most carnal, like driving factor for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, but I agree. And I think that I think our society prioritizes a lot of the characteristics of it too. And, and it makes it seem, like, really idealized and, like, you should be striving to be this number or this mm-hmm. type of person. It was interesting. I was listening to a podcast that was kind of talking about how people tend to mistype as twos and sevens. Mm. Because twos are, like, this, like, perfect friend that, like, you'd want to be. And sevens are, like, fun. Sevens are, like, the cool, fun person. That's a good point. Right? And so... A lot of people, until they really like sit down and read everything and really dig into it, they don't necessarily find what they truly are. It takes mm-hmm. a, like it takes a lot of like um, hard conversations with yourself sometimes to really like admit to and find your type. And I like when I took the test, I was pretty close. Like I, my test said that I was a three wing two, and it was like, yeah, I resonated really hard with with three. And then, like, a few months later, after really reading stuff, I was like, oh, definitely a three-wing four, though. As much as I'd like to think that I have a, a two-wing and I'm really kind and I'm giving and I take care of people, it's definitely not what drives me. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, like, I, I think I'm a pretty good friend to people, um, but I'm definitely not driven by that two-ness at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is, I mean... When you think of, like, what the weakness is for each type, mm-hmm. like, twos really have, like, the desirable weakness to have. 
Like it's it's it takes yeah. You know, if you are not acknowledging yourself as much as you're acknowledging others, mm-hmm. like it's like being too selfless that you're mm-hmm. abandoning yourself and your own needs. Mm-hmm. Like that's I mean, I'm not saying that's a desirable weakness to have, but I mean, I do think what you're talking about like society prioritizing different types like that is something that like I feel like is kind of like ingrained yeah in a lot of people's minds like yeah well I you know I'm gonna deprive myself of this for the sake of x or whoever or whatever and I yeah it's it's really interesting I didn't realize that about seven so but that makes perfect sense yeah like they are so fun it's super yeah it's super interesting and I know that like the Enneagram is something that's been very much co-opted by a lot of like religious denominations as mm-hmm. like a way to sort of navigate um motivations and behaviors and whatnot and so you know, it definitely makes a lot of sense that a lot of people would test as twos in that world because like there really are um idealized characteristics especially of like what a woman is expected to be mm-hmm. in a lot of conservative worlds mm-hmm. you know and a lot of that is this idea of like the selfless woman you see it lifted up in Bible studies um, with some really core characters from the Bible. Um, but it's interesting because, like, you know, you can you can strive to be like that, but it doesn't mean it's who you are on the inside. Right. It's not necessarily what drives you. Um, but, yeah, so twos represent our two, like, core young male love interests. Yes, like how fitting for them mm-hmm. to be. True, and they're true twos. They're, they're not mistyped twos. Type twos. And I think like this is gonna sound so silly, but we were definitely inspired by Kristoff in Frozen Two, <laughs> because Kristoff is a like I don't care. I've seen I. There's like a whole world out there of Instagram Enneagram accounts who like make really beautiful drawings that I don't always think are super accurate with Enneagram information. <laughs> like the art is spectacular. Um, but one of them like went through and like did their theoretical Enneagram types for the Frozen 2 cast and they didn't have Kristoff as a 2 and I was like you don't know what you're talking about you know what I blocked it out I think because I was so upset by it it's just not possible it's not because like literally he has like two super iconic lines where you're like oh he's a 2 I know I know one of them yeah when he's like what do do you need what do you need when he picks up Anna from the yeah the rock giants or whatever. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, what was God. the other one? Oh no, now I'm blanking. If a man saved me from danger and scooped me up into his arms on a horse, and the first thing he says to me is, "What do you need?" <laughs> yeah. What? Oh, I know the other one. It was, "My love is not fragile." Oh my yeah. gosh. When so, does he say that? Um. Oh gosh, it was like. Oh. Now I'm bl- I, I, I know saw what, it's this okay. three times in theaters, and now it's been too long, and I just can't remember because okay. my my brain has shrunk after having a kid. We'll just watch it again. I read a real article about that. Shrunk like in like physically like it like there's a reason why moms sometimes have a hard time like with remembering things. Oh. It's because like your your body literally changes on you. It's so I mean, unfair. Your body does change a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's, I mean, that's valid. Um, okay, so our boys, our sweet, sweet boys. So we talked a little bit about Aiden. Aiden is the love interest for Callie. Mm-hmm. Callie is our... S- Callie seven. is our seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Our sort of, like, fun-loving, freewheeling seven who we're putting a little bit of a twist on. You'd, you'd really think that the seven would be, like, this adventurous, like, get me out of this small town kind of girl and Callie ends up not being that Callie has a a really different story which I think is actually somewhat influenced by Aiden not in like a sad like he's her ball and chain sort of way Mm -hmm. but like in a really beautiful way where it's like she ends up discovering that like he is her dream you know and that like there are ways for adventure to still happen Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be like disappearing on a boat in the middle of the ocean exactly yeah so there's like another we're being very like cryptic with uh, the different like chunks of information but so there's a song that is being written that is one of Callie's songs where she literally is saying that like this love for her husband is like so great and it's just like a real genuine like 
love isn't I think it said love is enough for me ladies Mm -hmm. like it's a song that she's singing to her friends um and yeah I mean sevens are busy fun loving versatile but that doesn't mean it has to be in like a physical environment it doesn't have to be she doesn't necessarily need to leave or go flying across the country to wherever you know it can be how she wants to keep busy or how she wants to like you know emotionally be versatile with the different things that she does with her life and the people in her life Callie's I love Callie yes I love everyone but I'm gonna say that about everybody I love Callie I love Sadie yeah (laughs) and then Lennon who's like a little bit younger than Aiden but they're like they're buddies. Um, Lennon is the love interest for Cassie, who is our younger sister out of the Cassie-Gemma duo. Um, and you know what? Cassie can be a little tough to love sometimes. She's a four, and she has some stuff going on. And she's not necessarily super nice to Lennon when they're in high school. Um, although he ends up standing up for himself, which is, you know, kudos to him. Good job, Lennon. But they have, like, a, a really kind of fun back and forth like love story that I I hope people will be satisfied with the way it plays out um so Lennon is also like a beautiful giving too but he's also he's not nearly as sure of himself as Aiden so Aiden ends up being a little bit of like a not a father figure, but, like, a, a little bit of a role model. Like, mm-hmm. a little... Give some tips on how to, like... Like a big bro. Like how a to mentor. talk to girls and how to be respectful and how to um, get the courage to, like, go for it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the dynamic between our two main young male characters. Because I feel like with doing, like doing a project that is so heavily woman-focused... I think a lot of people think that it's going to be like man bashing or like mm-hmm. oh, a bunch of women in power suits punching men <laughs> and taking over the world which mm-hmm. like women will take over the world one day but <laughs> like that aside uh it, it was like important for us to have like just I mean like Shelby said there aren't like a lot of real tender male great role models for like even men too so like there's another type of person that needs represented in a different way mm-hmm. which I think is just really really cool because the dynamics between the twos and being so loving and with the girls and kind of all their different wild things they got going on in their stories like yeah these girls are nice. definitely the wild children of this yeah. small town and these these boys are the constant for them mm-hmm. and it's really it's really cool to see absolutely and then our, our other love interest is Amy. Um, I don't feel like it's, like, giving away anything at this point because we've put out into the world um, the song, mm-hmm. Look For Me. And that scene has developed a little bit more since then, but um, but that was one that was the big reveal at the, the announcement was the end of that song, um, you know, Cassie tells her sister she's not going to college and and Gemma tells her that this significant other she's been teasing throughout the song is actually uh, a girl named Amy. Um, So it's kind of like a a surprise coming out for her. So Amy um, is still in development a little bit, Mm -hmm. but Amy's a three. And Amy is a very, (laughs) she's very achievement driven individual. um, And the Amy Gemma dynamic is is really fascinating to me right now. Still kind of we're still kind of discovering it, but um, Amy and Gemma are on the same triad, which what that means. <laughs> so with with the Enneagram, I think we talked about this in the first podcast a little bit. A little bit the triad. But the idea is that like your number is part of a triad, and so when you are um, in disintegration, like you're in stress mode, you're not doing so great you you tend to take on the negative aspects of one of the triad numbers and then when you're doing really well and you're integrating take on the positive aspects of a different one so as a three um I'm also a three I don't know if I told you that (laughs) Um, but when I'm doing really well I take on positive characteristics of a six and when I'm not doing great I take on negative aspects of a nine and so the same applies for Amy so when she's doing super great, she takes on the 
positive aspects of a six, which is what Gamma is, they're on the same triad, mm-hmm. which creates interesting dynamics between the two of them. Um, we're, we're still exploring their relationship a little bit, and part of the challenge with writing has been that this show is actually told as if it's a, a series of echoes of these girls' lives overlapping. So there's a lot of time jumps, which is going to be really great once we fine-tune it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's a little confusing <laughs> while writing sometimes. We have several documents that chart things out for us to keep referencing. And so as I'm writing, I have like the real timeline open, the outline open... And then a couple other documents that just sort of, like, try to keep me on track. Um, but it's, like, I have a side-by-side where it's, like, the order of the scenes in the show. And then, like, I have one where it's, like, how old they are when mm-hmm. they happen and what year the events happen in. <laughs> like, uh, it's a lot, but it, I think it's going to be really cool. And it spans over the course of ten years? Yeah, it's a decade. Yeah, that's, that's a, a daunting task yeah. for our dear Shelby writing a script that's Woof. needs to be like well less than two hours long because we have to plug all the music in and then cover the span of 10 years <laughs> but we're getting there amazing. we're getting there i mean the whole theme the whole heart of the show are the echoes mm-hmm. i mean that's the name of the show <laughs> it is. so it's really important to us to have that you know peppered through in the different aspects of their life in the different timelines of their life and these big moments of their life yeah i'm sure that loud noise is going to be heard on the podcast but it's fine (laughs) but it's okay oh this is a good segue actually because at the not the very beginning of the show but in the first act there's a scene where the four gals are talking about what they want for the future Mm -hmm. and like make a pact for the future and it's interesting because these different things that they talk about are then, you know, flash forwards into the current or other past timelines, which is really, really cool. Yeah. But let's talk about the pact a little bit, Yeah, shall I mean, we? I think the pact is what, what kicks off and sort of drives the action of the show. And that's actually kind of in the synopsis of the show, so I don't think it's, it's not like a secret or anything. Right. <laughs> um, but we... Um, we mentioned in the first podcast that like a lot of the action in this show takes place in a church. It's this sort of like grounding location that um, ended up just making a lot of sense the way as we continue to develop mm-hmm. the characters. It made sense that this would be this central place. And so the pact actually happens for them. They ditch their senior prom and decide that they're going to have like girl time with the four of them. And they um, like... I use the term break in really loosely because I imagine they've like forged keys by now. Right. Um, they've got access. Because well, Gemma and, and Cassie's dad is the pastor there. Mm-hmm. But they've all grown up there. They like grew up. There's some reference where it's like they met in one of the nursery rooms or something. Mm-hmm. So they've all known each other forever. And they end up just going and they like sneak some of the champagne stock that's back there for weddings. And, and they're just like kind of getting tipsy on prom night. <laughs> As one of their last, like, hurrahs before they all go off and pursue adulthood. And, um, and then they, they sort of make this pact where they promise that they'll, they'll always be there for each other for the major milestones in life. Um, whatever that might be, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, having kids or getting married or, um, anything else that you would consider, like, a big thing that you'd want your, your core people to be there for. And so this was sort of the the driving force of, like, how we would keep bringing them back together and also, like, how we would create conflict. You know, even with some of your best friends, you you have falling outs or you get into fights, you know, and depending on how much you would value a promise like this, it could bring together four people who maybe are not on the best of terms mm-hmm. and make sure they're back there to honor this promise that was made. Right. But... Helen started cranking this tune out, and it is absolutely a bop. Definitely got stuck in my head for days. Um, it's always stuck in my head, actually. It's, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited for this song. It's funny because when we first started writing this, I told Shelby it's actually super hard for me to write happy songs, 
and I don't, it's not because I'm not a happy person. I'm a very happy person, but I think just naturally it's a lot easier to write songs when you have a lot of like, you know, angsty emotion or negative emotion or heartbreak. It's just really easy to crank that out because you just have a lot of emotion in you. Whereas like for someone like me where happiness is kind of like my, it's like my resting state. I don't really like write a lot of happy songs because it's just kind of like never a real hyper emotional thing for me. So, um, Shelby had written out some like lyric ideas in the script and I had taken them and chopped them up and put them to music. Um, and then added some additional lyrics, of course. And it ended up being definitely, I mean, it's my favorite song so far. I love this song. So uh, each gal has their own verse, kind of talking about their own kind of... It, it, each, each verse really like shows their personality in a real short amount of words. And um, the chorus and the hook are them like making their promise to each other, making their pact to each other. taking it from because they're in this church which is such like a central location for them throughout their lives that they're actually I mean should I say it like what they're actually doing during this song yeah okay I don't want to give away too much but I feel like we can give that away it's a little it's like a nugget of like it's just fun it's a sweet nugget yeah (laughs) I don't think I like that term (laughs) sweet nugget what it's It's just you know like I um, get sweet and sour sauce when I have my nuggets it's sweet I've okay. never tried that. <laughs> I had to process that for a second. <laughs> anyway. Um, anyways, so the sweet nugget of this song. <laughs> um, but what's actually happening in the scene of this song while they're like ditching the prom and getting tipsy on champagne is they're actually making a physical like mark in the pews at the church, um, which is gonna be I think it's probably going to be like something that they look back on physically like even when some of them aren't there in the moments where they're fighting or not together there are definitely some references right now yeah so it's really cool to have that as like the driving thing um where they're talking about like that they made their mark yeah on the town or their mark on each other but they're also making like this physical mark in the pew at the church which is where all these monumental moments have happened and will continue to happen in their lives yeah um and that being like the physical like mark for them i think it doesn't be a secret i think they talk about it it's fine so it's um we decided that their physical mark was going to be a four-leaf clover Mm -hmm. and i think there's something kind of beautiful about um the fact that you know a four-leaf clover is really four hearts come together in one image (sighs) and uh it's been it's been kind of fun to like research four leaf clovers a little bit more what and did discover you the other day. Yeah, so I I found some facts about four leaf clovers and one of the really cool things that I haven't quite figured out how I'm gonna work it in or where yet, but there's this this like myth that when Eve left the Garden of Paradise, she took a four leaf clover with her. So I think I'm you know with all of the religious elements that we're kind of still working in like there's something there and I'm not sure exactly what it is but 
there's something there. And it's, you know, there's, there's some really cool tidbits about it. Like symbolically, um, in Irish culture, each leaf represents like a different thing. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a lot for us to play with, with the symbolism of it. Um, and there's something really beautiful about it being like carved into the pew because so many scenes do happen right there. And it not only can allow for them to see it and feel it, but there's definitely a scene right now where um, the boys see it and talk a little bit about, you know, what it feels like to be on the outside of a group that that's that tight, you know? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just something about it, like, as a spouse or as a significant other, like, if, you're, if your person has a person... <laughs> who's that close to them like how do you negotiate that relationship without letting it veer into jealousy you have to sort of like find your own way to like appreciate it and come to terms with it Mm -hmm. especially if it's like a relationship from childhood you know right that's a forever. yeah yeah i think that we really liked the idea of the four-leaf clover also because we wanted something that represented them that dealt with the four of them we always just call them the core four ourselves just when we're referring to them, but mm-hmm. like we didn't really carry that over into the show. Yeah. I'm really excited about that being layered through everything too. Me too. It's helped out a lot. Yeah. Where do we go from here? <laughs> we can do our questions. Where do we segue? Our Q&A. Ooh, the Q&A? Yeah. So we decided that we're going to add a special segment towards the end of each podcast. And it's going to be a little Q&A between friends. So um, we each will prepare a question in advance. <laughs> and the other one doesn't know the question. And it's just a way for us to get to know something new about them. Yeah. I love this. I love that it's like organized getting to know you. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Okay. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. If you could absorb one new skill overnight what would you pick and why what like and be and you be an expert in it like master of it i'm gonna have to cut all the silence out while i think about the answer to this you can just superimpose the jeopardy thing (laughs) my mom told me the other day that the first song that i ever sang was the jeopardy theme song (laughs) that is the most when i was a baby she said my aunt was holding me and I was like humming the Jeopardy theme song and my aunt was like, is your kid singing the Jeopardy theme song? Because <laughs> my grandma watched it every day. That makes sense. So weird. Anyways. That makes sense. That's okay. A skill that I could absorb overnight and instantly be an expert at. Is like being able to play every musical instrument. Is that one skill or would it have to be trying to narrow it down to one instrument? I mean, I feel like you can answer it however you want. I would love to know how to play every single musical instrument in the world. But if we're going to narrow it down, because I feel like that's really broad, I would become an expert at playing the violin. Mm. That is a skill. Like reading, writing, Mm. playing Mm -hmm. the violin. I just think it is such an elegant instrument. It is an instrument I've never tried to play, but I think it is so beautiful. It is beautiful. Uh, It's so beautiful, and it's so like... Like, if you just saw, like, a solo violinist anywhere, like, that was an expert at playing that instrument, it's just so, like, emotional and beautiful. I don't know. Ugh. I love it. Awesome. I love it. Okay. That was, that was a good question. Thanks. That was a really good question. Okay. I have a question for you. Well, I was narrowing it down between two, but I'm actually going to do this one. Okay. What obstacles are you currently trying to overcome? One obstacle that I think a lot of working artists run into is that I'm, I'm very time poor right now. So when I say time poor, I mean, um, I, I don't have enough hours in the day to do the things that I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that, I think for me currently stems from being a parent Um, So one of the obstacles I'm trying to overcome is seeking a healthy work-life balance, uh, making sure that I am hitting deadlines for the many things I'm committed to, and then also making sure that I 
feel like I'm truly giving the time to my family that they deserve. Um, I think the last thing I want is to one day wonder if I didn't give Rory the attention she needed in lieu of like focusing on a rehearsal or a costume fitting or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I'm still striving to find that balance. But I also, I saw this silly meme quote pop up on Facebook the other day and it was the idea that um, that your kids would rather have a happy parent than a perfect parent. And it, and it was just kind of like, kind of struck me as like, yeah, you know what, of course they would. Like, maybe I don't get to the park as much as every parent does or maybe, you know, there are piles of laundry everywhere in my house right now. But you know what, like, overall I'm super happy with my life and we have a lot of fun when we're together as a family and Rory is really loved and supported by all the artists at Brelby. She has a lot of built-in babysitters and um, aunts and uncles there. (laughs) Um, So I think for me right now, it's very much about balance. I have some newish responsibilities that I'm still trying to like figure out where they fit into my weekly schedule. I'm um, the acting president of the Arizona Awards, which is like our Arizona like community Tony Awards, um, which sounds like really silly and fun, but it's, it's a lot of work and the board the board is constantly working they do a lot um it's like an all year long thing where we have people who manage our our volunteer adjudicators and they're going out to see like 12 shows a year to help score and make sure that artists are being recognized for what they're doing and then we have a huge award ceremony and um and so right now I'm sort of like settling into the new responsibility of what it means to be the president, which is very different from what I was doing before. And I've sort of been dropping the ball lately, but I'm trying to give myself some grace because I definitely had like surgery in the last couple of weeks, which took a lot of recovery time. Um, But yeah, so I think, you know, finding balance and then also the idea of like, like I, I feel like you and I relate in the sense that like we both take on a lot. And I think we both like thrive being busy, but it's only natural that at a certain point you're going to hit walls. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to just be like kind to yourself when that happens and be like, you know what? I need to take a day and just cuddle with my kid and watch Mickey Mouse. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. It's good. Balance is good. I saw a thing today that was like what you think productivity looks like. And it was like hard work. And then it's what productivity actually looks like. And it's like 30% hard work, you know, 20% rest time Mm -hmm. and self-care. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That hit me too. That little graphic. I feel like the idea of like self-care and mental health and taking care of yourself is still a relatively new idea. Mm -hmm. Like I think for so long it was like you need to achieve and you need to have it all and you need to like keep working and hustle 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 until you get what you want and then just in the last couple of years I feel like the rhetoric has started to change a bit where it's like it's fine to hustle and it's fine to work hard for what you want but nobody can literally be running at 150% all the time yeah it's gonna catch up to you and wouldn't you rather be taking care of yourself along the way and never truly like face plant into a wall it's a hard lesson to learn it is, and it's still one I learn over and over. Yeah, same. But eventually I'll find that balance. <laughs> eventually. And then we won't, and then we will, and then mm-hmm. we won't. Exactly. Yeah. Indeed. Cool. Well, I feel like this was a, another jam-packed Another jam-packed episode. podcast, yeah. I feel like, is there is there anything we should say before we go? Uh, workshop is the 27th. Yeah. We had set unrealistic deadlines for ourselves and then we had a pep talk we did shelby came so shelby and i teach at the same school and yesterday <laughs> i was playing piano in my classroom alone <laughs> and she came traipsing in from the theater <laughs> from the theater room right next door dramatically and i think i audibly like screamed in excitement that you would walk <laughs> into my room 
And she came and just gave like a five minute pep talk about how we had set unrealistic deadlines for ourselves. And the point of a workshop is to... To workshop the show. To workshop it. <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect. We were trying to workshop it ourselves before yeah. we workshopped it. Yeah. Which is, I mean, not, I'm not, would never have expected anything less of our, <laughs> our dynamic. So true. But it was good. It was much needed. And I feel like it was something that I had been trying to tell myself for a while, but couldn't convince myself of. And so having Shelby tell me that really helped to drive it home. I needed that. Yeah. I needed you to say that. Oh. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like so I'm I'm a member of the Dramatist Guild and they're doing this like kind of cool event this month. It's called End of Play. And it's like a national, maybe international, I don't know. Definitely national movement where all the people that have signed up for it were all writing a play in a month. And okay. so there's a rep in every state that's helping to like encourage and guide and I keep getting emails from the guild rep for it every day that's like a keep trucking even if all you wrote was a sentence today you're doing great Mm -hmm. um and so um our Arizona rep is one of my best friends (laughs) this is John Paravich oh John um yeah and so he sent out like a touch base email to our little team today and he has two goals this month So he's not just writing a play. He's also finishing the revisions on a play. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to have two goals too. So I'm going to use end of play to help motivate myself and get myself finished on echoes. I am writing a a different play from the beginning. Fingers crossed that I hit the deadline on that. You will. Um, But I think there was something kind of cool about this, this sort of like collective feeling that there are playwrights all around the country who are also pushing for deadlines right now at the same time as us so I'm sort of letting it like wrap around echoes a little Mm -hmm. bit as like this like support system across the country what fantastic timing yeah that's great I love that yeah yeah it's gonna be good we're gonna have more progress next time you hear from us absolutely we're gonna introduce our parents the parents next time you hear from us the adult figures perhaps yes adult figures yeah um and I'm sure we'll have some brand new developments and indeed challenges along the way yeah thanks for tuning in friends yeah episode two in the books in the books do we have a conclusion we still don't maybe we should do that before episode three yeah before episode three so that we have one on episode three. Oh. <laughs> so I, think I was like, right you mean now, right now? We should just like count to three and say the first thing that comes to our mind and we'll see what happens. What? Are you ready for the chaos? I know this is really like hard for your oneness. I honestly don't even know. I feel like I can't physically process that. That's okay. Just the try your best to say to... something. I already am going to say something. And if you don't, then I'll just be alone. <laughs> Ready? I would never let you. One, two, three. Sayonara, suckers. (laughs) You meant like a conclusion, like a salutation. Salutations, good, good, and good cheer. (laughs) I thought you meant like the first thing. I was going to say like a glass of wine. (laughs) Like a physical thing. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.